Hello, and thank you for joining me on 2020 Blood, Sweat and Tears. Like about 99% of the population, I would say that 2020 has absolutely been one of the weirdest years of my life. From losing my job earlier this year to experiencing the classic millennial quarter life crisis, although at 28, I'm not sure I can still call it that, to discovering all of the lockdown classics, Joe Wicks, sourdough starter, anxiety, in between all of the stress and drama, I've also found so much joy in so many things. I've read more books than I can ever remember reading, I've spent time volunteering, and ironically, I think I've actually spent more time with friends and family than I have done in years. There's also been great upheaval around the world socially and politically, from the Black Lives Matter movement to one of the craziest US elections in living memory and seemingly daily drama from number 10. In short, it's all been happening. While the world has been uniquely tied together with the events of this year, it's the individual experiences that really interest me. I'm going to be speaking to a different guest each episode about their 2020, from the personal to the professional, the upsides, the downsides, and all of the issues that are important to them. I'm interested in it all, and I hope you will be too. My guest today is Evie Calder. Evie works in media and communications at University College London. She's also the co-founder of Atlas and Autis, a sustainable living brand and social enterprise that aims to help the transition towards a zero waste, plastic free lifestyle. Evie studied environmental economics at York University, followed by a master's in transnational studies at UCL. Prior to her current job at UCL, she worked in various communications roles for NGOs and charities in London and also spent four months as a research assistant for a conservation project in Peru. On top of all of this, Evie is one of the most clued up and passionate people that I know when it comes to the environment, politics and the world around us. And like me, she always has something to say. In this episode, we talk all things lockdown, including discovering the joys of gardening, as well as Evie's take on the climate emergency and what she thinks we can learn from this year. So, welcome Evie, thank you so much for joining me. First things first, we're now in lockdown 2.0 in England, so where and how are you spending it? Thanks. So this time around, um, my boyfriend's actually been working a little bit more, so we've been up in London in his house. Um, For the first lockdown, we were mainly with his parents down in Surrey, um, because his industry basically shut down, so we didn't need to be up in London, but yeah, this time we've gone back. Um, I'm just mainly going to be working from home, chilling out, baking, cooking, not much <laughs> else. <laughs> Pretty much the same as lockdown one. Pretty That's much. That's in lockdown one. Yeah. I feel like it is slightly different this time around, though. I feel like it's a bit more, We've, you know, we've done this before. Yeah, there's, n- there's no thrill. <laughs> there's no thrill. No. The first time it was like... Oh my God, <laughs> the police yeah, are coming. Exactly, now... yeah. I mean, I thought that we were going to get pulled over every time we got in the car or like there was going to be yes, barricades on the road. <laughs> and like the army coming in with their helicopters trying to arrest everyone. Not that the army do that, but... <laughs> I literally got generally sent to me a picture of um, the army marching down Northcote Road in Canberra. <laughs> and it was, it was like a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend's brother sent me this. Oh my God. And I was like, this is... None of those thrills this time. I also no. I feel like places are places are opening open more because they've all learned how to kind of deal 
Exactly. I mean, I was really worried that we were going to have a second lockdown now and that it was going to be really, really super depressing because it was going to be dark and miserable and you couldn't go outside. But actually, I feel like the first lockdown was way more isolating. Like I didn't see my family for like three months. Um, just like I was having to do things like buy myself flowers to like cheer myself up. And like it was hard. Like it was it was actually really difficult to sort of see the end whereas I think because this lockdown's shorter and we know that you know you can have a support bubble you can still go to the shops like it just feels a little bit easier but I think they have to do that because if they didn't and it was sort of Christmas and everyone was alone that would be really horrific for mental health and yeah oh a hundred percent I feel like the, even the possibility of being able to meet one person outside to yeah. go for a walk makes such a big difference it just does. the complete impossibility because I think it, last time it was from March until May that you could not see anyone outside of your house. I mean like the first lockdown we're so fortunate that we like had space and some access to a garden and you, I just like imagine people living in a flat with like their kids and they've been furloughed and it's just there's no way that people could be doing that again in the winter just without support I feel like we're just far better prepared like we I I didn't own a mask for most of the first lockdown I didn't really leave the house but uh, you know the only thing we were really doing was sort of sanitizing hands more but I feel like now that like we're just way better equipped to comply with all of the things that we think we need to be doing whereas before people just it wasn't in people's habit really to stay sort of two meters away from each other whereas I think now people sort of have the confidence to say actually you know you're not following the rules where's your mask but that's way more accepted which is good yeah definitely it's crazy to think all throughout the first lockdown everyone was going to the supermarket without a mask on and then in the space of like six months, it's been completely turned around to the point where now if you see someone who's not wearing a mask and you're like on public transport or in a shop, you definitely question why they weren't doing that. Maybe not to their face, but you might give them evils. <laughs> you think it in a very British way. You definitely yeah, would bring it up. Yeah, no, you just stare at them until they got your mental telepathic message that they should be wearing a mask. <laughs> So masks aside, what else do you think has really come to your attention or maybe changed for you this year? I kind of feel like 2020 was the year that the world kind of slowed down a little bit and everyone kind of realised that actually you don't have to be on this continuous treadmill of going to work to to uh, make enough money to pay your bills to you know it, and a lot of people realized that they didn't even have to live in London you know we could work from home um for those people who can work from home so I think it's done a lot in terms of sort of mentally slowing down and sort of taking more time and being at home and enjoying where you are if you can um so for me it's been great to spend sort of more time just chilling out <laughs> I think it's sort of given people yeah an excuse to like recharge batteries and and appreciate that that's okay if you want to do that yeah and to like prioritize your own well-being and your own mental health as well I feel like people has this year has really um given people the opportunity to do the things that they always sort of wanted to do but haven't really had the time like because we've been down down here in the south and um 
had access to a garden this year we were sort of like right well let's just grow let's just have a go at growing some of our own fruit and veg and that's something that we sort of tried to do in London but we couldn't because you know we had tiny outside space we didn't know really what we were doing either but this year we sort of were really able to get into it and I feel like it's coronavirus has catalyzed so many things that were going to happen anyway but it's just done them so much faster like this connect people connecting with nature people working from home like people realizing that they want better work-life balance or better you know integration of work and it not being such a big thing to go to work and then come home that's that was probably going to happen anyway in the next 10 15 Mm. years but and it needed to happen because it was unsustainable in many ways yeah um mentally emotionally um and you know actually environmentally as well um but it's yeah. you know people really valuing the um like appreciating the value of allotments and outside space and it's yeah it's been great because we've been able to grow lots of our own stuff and it's been amazing and just really really rewarding and actually I think it was one of the things that really helped me through um lockdown it's so amazing. Like I remember we made a salad and I was like, wow, absolutely everything that's in this salad we grew outside there in that little patio. And it was just, it was amazing because it was like everyday items like lettuce, tomatoes and cucumber. And I was like, why are we spending money buying this stuff from supermarkets in plastic tubs? Um, you know, they've probably been imported from Spain or I don't know, even probably further afield. And it's just when you can if you can why wouldn't you grow something on your patio yeah I think that's such a lovely thing to have come out of this year you know it's something that's been positive for your mental health but also has the benefit of being environmentally conscious as well I mean thinking about this year we've actually had some incredible news environmentally I think it was around April where it was being reported that the canals in Venice were clear and the skies in Delhi were blue, like for the first time in years, all down to the reduced air traffic. But then at the same time, we've got what feels like use of disposable items and single-use plastic at a record high for kind of obvious reasons. What do you make of all of this? Do you think this year will have a lasting positive effect on the environment? I think overall, the answer is probably no. Mm if you're looking at environmental issues as a whole, but when you're looking at sort of climate versus plastic, then yeah, we've seen a massive drop in air travel. Um, And which one is the bigger issue? I would say it's absolutely climate, no questions asked. But we have definitely seen a massive increase in disposable items. But then also, I feel like we've seen a big increase in that being okay, whereas there is a lot of work done a lot of work done sort of after Blue Planet, raising awareness of the fact that disposable items aren't okay. So I feel like coronavirus has kind of undone that thinking of our single use, that's not acceptable. Yeah, I think it is difficult because I think obviously we've got the relatively shorter term threat right in front of us right now, which is the COVID-19. And then we've got the much, much longer term issue that we need to be thinking about, which is... um, the climate emergency and obviously that's probably one of the longest term issues that we're really dealing with and thinking about and I guess it's trying to balance the two I mean do you think that this one year will um, undo a lot of the good that's already been done 
or do you think we can pick back up kind of where we left off? Well, I mean, the thing is with climate is that it's such it's actually quite a difficult concept to really think about because you can't see climate change. It's something that happens over a long period of time. You, you know, you can't touch it. We can't afford to lose any more time not acting on climate. You know, we should have been doing mm. a lot this year. There's, like these this time um this you know lots of people say we've already passed the point of no return this now right now we this is the important moment because we've still got a chance to do something about it and the more we wait the smaller that chance is that we're going to actually be able to limit warming to two degrees and cop we were supposed to have cop now that was supposed to be happening and that's been postponed for a year and who knows what um impact that's going to have that's a year of you know potentially massive climate action that hasn't happened um Mm -hmm. and you just don't know what impact that's actually going to have this is something that the government should be taking seriously but just doesn't have the capacity to act on at the moment i mean this you know boris johnson's obviously dealing with coronavirus right now because it's right here it's right in front of him it's an issue that he's tackling right now with climate change it always seems to be something with you know kicking the can down the road and yeah they have committed to net zero by 2050 but i personally feel that that's you know i'll be 60 i'll be 60 in 2050 that's ridiculous it's such a long term it's a long like i said it's the longest term thing that we need to think about and therefore it has the longest commitment but I feel like it can kind of make people less engaged with it because like you say you're like well what good is that going to do if it's going to take that long may as well just not do anything which I I think is not not the attitude to have but I do understand why people kind of have it and maybe aren't so engaged with it people like to see immediate change it is an investment because you're not going to necessarily see it's you know acting on climate is going to be expensive but not acting on climate is going to be even more expensive and it's you know political terms of four or five years and you're not going to implement a solution in four or five years that you're seeing the benefits in terms of the climate immediately you can see why politicians might prioritize other issues that are going to see immediate effects um but it, it you know that's why the language around climate change has has changed it's you know we're now calling it a climate emergency climate breakdown to really try and get across and, you know, this is the problem with climate communications. It's very difficult to really get that across because it's not like plastic pollution. You can't see it. You might be able to see the fumes from the car exhaust, but you can't see what that's actually but you can't doing. See the to the of that. No, you can't. And, you know, there might be more hurricanes, um, more flooding, but you wouldn't necessarily go, oh, that's because of climate change because I got in my car and drove that time. It doesn't yep. create the same link. So I feel like there's less personal response like people don't feel as personally responsible for climate change as they might do for plastic pollution but also at the same time I've been seeing a lot a lot lately on how um massive companies I think especially I think the exact example that I saw was about Shell just to fact check myself here um for this specific example, the company that I was actually talking about was BP, not Shell. Introducing years ago, um, the feature on the website where you could calculate your own carbon footprint. Therefore, the companies that are making the biggest impact and putting us in the center of a climate emergency are the ones that are shifting the blame onto the individual so that we feel individually responsible for it and think, you know, if I don't drive, if I don't buy these things in plastic, if I make make these changes in my life, which yes, are important. And if lots of people do, will make a difference. But in reality, 
isn't it the massive companies that are the that create 90 percent of the the carbon emissions that we have in this world and they're the ones that need to make the change but they're the ones that are pushing it onto the individual exactly i mean i absolutely have a massive issue with the fact that companies um for some reason feel that it's acceptable to sort of blame individuals and push that put the onus on us i do i I think the example that, that you're talking about as well with shell was the other day they tweeted just to go back to fact checking for a sec in this instance, Evie was correct, and it was Shell that tweeted the uh, poll that very much backfired. And it was like, what are you doing? What are you willing to do to help reduce emissions or something? Not, not word for word. And, it, and people were just sort of like, are you joking? Is it like, it's your laughable. Shell? It's laughable. It is laughable. You almost actually expect this type of thing from them because they genuinely want you to believe that this stuff is your fault. And it absolutely yeah. isn't. And I think it's really, you know, I spent a lot of time feeling like environmental issues and, you know, climate change and plastic pollution. It was because of me. And you felt so, I felt so much guilt every time I, you know, accidentally forgot my carrier bag or, you know, every time I ordered something online and it came wrapped in plastic. We're only really able to make choices based on what's put in front of us. If everything that's put in front of us is sustainable then we can only make sustainable choices. But if companies aren't providing us with a sustainable option or it's not affordable or it's not realistic and it's not feasible, then you can't expect people to make good decisions because you're not equipping them and you're not putting the right things in front of them for them to be able to actually do that. So for Shell to, to do something like that and say, what are you, what are you doing to reduce your carbon yeah. emissions? Actually, it's like, no, what are you doing? But then it also goes one step further and what is the government doing to make Shell be more sustainable? Because companies aren't going to suddenly, until it's profitable for them to be more sustainable, they're just not going to do that. With mm-hmm. coronavirus, we've seen radical policies be implemented that have changed things overnight. You know, we eradicated homelessness because we had political will, because we had to. Just to jump in here with some background, Evie's referring to the Everyone In policy, which saw the government pledge 3.2 billion pounds to local authorities in order to house rough sleepers during the first coronavirus lockdown. Why is that not, why is that level of radical policy not being implemented for climate? You've just got to ask yourself. So last year, um, my company and we traded at Glastonbury Festival and they made the whole thing um, single-use plastic-free. So you, if you were a food outlet, you had to sell, you had to provide people with sort of little compostable pots and um, trays and knives and like bamboo knives and forks and things like that and biodegradable coffee cups and they couldn't sell bottled water. And you know what? We all survived. If you can do that in a pop-up place where that's filled with 250,000 people. Why can't you do that in other places? If you don't have policies that highlight the gravity of the situation, then people aren't going to get the gravity of the situation. Like with coronavirus, if we went into lockdown because this is very serious. If you don't have equivalent environmental policies, then people aren't going to appreciate the seriousness of the issue. Thank you so much to Evie Calder for sharing her experiences of 2020 and her thoughts on the climate crisis. I'll be back again next week with another episode, so I'll speak to you then.